Thank you for joining us for the Togetherish warm welcome to Dr. Peter Holmes. Thank you. Hello, Journey. We welcome every one of you in the name of the Lord. I'm going to share some scripture in a few minutes. But what I'd like to do is to stop for a moment to pray for Nepal and the situation there. They had an earthquake yesterday, 7.9 on the Richter scale. It's the worst earthquake they've had in that region for 80 years. Estimates are very, very wide about the losses, but we're expecting the best figure at the moment is about 2,000 people have died so far. And a number have died in the aftershocks during the night. And uh, it's a national disaster. Nobody quite knows what's going to happen next. Aftershocks are very common, and this is a highly mountainous region of the world. And uh, it's impossible to get to many people that are stranded in the mountains. All the Everest attempts have been called off, and aid is beginning to be moved here from the States. The American government has given a million dollars this morning and uh, sending in aid teams. Nobody quite knows what's going to happen next. So I'd like us to stop for a moment and just pray. Remember these people. There are two, three hundred thousand foreigners in this country. And uh, the actual earthquake was being felt from India through to China. Let's pray. Our Father, we stand before you now and we take a moment to think and to direct our prayers to this nation and its terrible losses. We bring before you the many, many broken families. and where whole families have actually died, where villages are being wiped out, buildings collapsing, taking everyone with them. Lord, we bring this before you. We ask you, Lord God, to give ways of standing with and supporting this disaster. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to help release trauma 
and fair. And help people to be able to return to their homes. And Lord God, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We're in the third week of a together ish series. We're looking at the concept of being together. And there's probably few cultures on earth where it's more challenging to be together than it is in America. Um, I will often say to people, hey, I'm here for a, a couple of weeks, and uh, they just cringe and say, oh, no, I'm away. Um, uh, when, when do you leave? And it can be a battle. Being together. Solitariness, aloneness is a national disease. Last week, Brandon outlined what community looked like in the New Testament church and challenged us to look at being together intentionally more. And today we're looking at the opposite aspect of that. We're actually looking at the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we're talking about the social community, the Trinity in relationality. And I want to focus on it at this particular moment in the Christian year. We're right between resurrection and the celebrations of Easter Sunday and we're moving into the season, through the season of ascension. Now, it's very interesting to me because the Ascension is one of the most important events in the Christian year. But in the Protestant traditions, we often just leave, we stop at Easter. And what I'd like to do is to read the Ascension passage and then look at some of the implications for us and how we see through this season a very powerful range of illustrations of how the Trinity works together in unity and in harmony and in reality. Luke 24 50 to 52. 
when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now there are six key points in Christ's life. One of them was his birth, another his baptism, then there was the transfiguration, then the crucifixion and the resurrection, and then the ascension. And this period is around 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. And Ascension Day is May 14th. And it's in the middle of a week. It's not a weekend celebration. The event took place in Bethany. And if you're one of those that's had the privilege of going to the Holy Land, when you come out of any of the east gates on the old city wall of Jerusalem and you walk out and you drop into the Kidron Valley, you come up the other side and we're talking about two mile walk, three kilometers. And you come to the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And nestled on those slopes, in amongst the olive groves, was Bethany. Bethany was Christ's safe place. He went back there again and again. He withdrew to get rest, to get away from the crowds, to take breaks and would go out onto the Mount of Olives just to spend time with his father. And Bethany was the home of Martha and Mary, the two sisters. And they had a brother who lived with them as well. And his name was Lazarus. And Lazarus was the man that Christ rose from the dead although he didn't do it in a hurry exactly. He hung around for another three days before he finally got there and called him out of the tomb. Now, that event kicked in the final series of events that led to Christ's crucifixion. When news reached the high priests in Jerusalem that Christ had raised this man from the dead, they said, we must kill him. This is getting serious. So Bethany was a very appropriate place 
for Christ to go to for the ascension. And he went there. He was with the disciples. We have no idea how many people there actually were. But why was that event so important? Because, of course, in our Protestant traditions, we celebrate the resurrection. That's what tips the scales. That's salvation for us. We can believe in a God that's raised from the dead. But without the ascension, without the ascension, the task is incomplete. Because the ascension takes Christ up to the right hand of his Father. And that is the point when Christ's earthly ministry ends. Of course, the ascension doesn't get anything like the same attention that the resurrection did. But David prophesied Psalm 110. David prophesied that Christ, the Lord, would be enthroned at the right hand of the Father. That is what he said. And that psalm is the most frequently quoted in the New Testament. Christ told his followers on a number of occasions that he was going to have to die and that he would return to his father. John 14, 12. In fact, Christ, and this was incredibly courageous, when he stood before the high priests, he said to them, he was returning to his father, to the place of power. Matthew 26, 64. And what we're looking at here is we're looking at Christ affirming this moment. So what actually happened at the ascension? Well, if we open scripture and begin to look at the Greek text, there's a lot more there than what I've just read. The word to take up is mentioned five times in the New Testament. And every time, it's directly to do with the ascension. And it's the idea, it's the passive tense, and it says, not that Christ ascended under his own power, but that the Father took him up. 
And the Holy Spirit facilitated that. He was taken up. And it's a beautiful moment. The father is bringing the son back. And the Holy Spirit's facilitating that. And as they stood there and worshipped and praised the Lord, new history was being written. And now Christ was at the right hand of his Father. And he took with him his glory. The marks of his suffering and his obedience. And so in practice, the ascension brings to an end is an historical fact. And it's very interesting. Everyone over 2,000 years knows something of the controversy of Christ, his body being stolen, and all of the debate and confusion around the resurrection. In church history, there has never been any question about his ascension. But his ascension is what brought about our salvation. It was a historical fact. Luke talks about it. He says that all that he wrote was carefully researched. Luke 1, 3, Luke 24, 51. Mark said the same. Mark 16, 19. He he wanted to study it carefully to make sure we had all the right facts. And it was taken for granted by all the New Testament writers. It was a fact that it happened and it was never questioned. And it's very interesting because the first martyr of the early church, Stephen, as he was being stoned, says, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. Acts 7, 53 to 60. So in the ascension, we're actually looking at a moment in history where Christ's earthly ministry ended and his ministry as the high priest representing us on our behalf began. Paul actually says that uh, 
over 500 people saw Christ in that 40 days. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. The ascension was the culmination. Whereas theologically, the resurrection is the moment of atonement. So we lose quite a bit if we don't pay some attention to the ascension. It's actually quite important. The ascension is the moment of the Father's ultimate declaration of the Son. Christ's last words that he had just spoken before his ascension was the Great Commission. All power on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I command you to go making disciples, baptizing. And that authority and power was given in a very real way just a short time later when he was back with his father. Peter confirmed it in his first preach. 2.36, Christ had descended. And Pentecost follows ascension. Matthew 3.11, Acts 1.5, Acts 2.33. And after the ascension, everything begins to fall into place. And to fall into place in a way that was going to change human history forever. Christ said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will send my spirit. He will lead you into all truth. And Pentecost happened. The church is born. And Christ begins to move through his spirit into the lives of those he had blessed and trained. Now they were getting on with the job. There's a movement of the Holy Spirit that births the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that was what Christ came for. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is among you. That was his message. And salvation was his intention. And of course, there is all of those men that began to write the record of the New Testament 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All that began happening now. It was significance. It had a place. And of course, also, by the coming of the Spirit was not just truth, capital T, but there was the fruit of the Spirit. There was the gifts of the Spirit. And there was a whole new way of how to look at life in Christ. But there's one very important thing that's often forgotten. As the Father, by his Spirit, lifted up the Son, there were two angels. One of them turns round to the disciples and says, what are you looking at? In the way that he has gone, he will return to you. And he set the stake in the ground for the return of Christ. Acts one eleven. This same Jesus will come back in the same way that he has gone. So we can believe in his role, in Christ's role, as the high priest standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding, representing us. But we also can believe that he will come back But it will be in his time. But we do know the way. That doesn't mean I'm going to buy a house in Bethany, but uh, it does mean, of course, that we have to carry that. And Christ took his humanity in his spiritual body, back into divinity and into the divine trinity. And throughout this 40 days, Christ is presenting himself to different groups of people, reminding them of all he had taught them and telling them more of what was yet to happen. Now, what we're looking at here is we're looking at the concept of the three persons of the Trinity forever eternally living in community. Living their life within one another pouring their love into each other and having a unity and a substance 
and a reality of community together that is divine. And I spent about two decades trying to figure out what Christian community looked like. And then one day I came across the Cappadocian Fathers in the third century within the Greek tradition. And these men began to unfold to me ideas that Augustine didn't particularly like about the intimacy of the Trinity, forever loving one another, and being our model and example of togetherness. Oh, yes. And I had this incredible revelation. No, I didn't. I had this moment of embarrassment and humiliation when I realized that the model of community in Christ is life in the Trinity. And that for me was beautiful. So we don't have to rely on individuals trying to make up community because it's the work of the Holy Spirit because he knows what community really is. Togetherness in Christ is us honoring, following, emulating the work within the Godhead. Now, I have no idea what I'm talking about here because we're only just beginning to explore these ideas theologically here in the Western church. And we still have this very difficult tradition of the solitary saint with Jesus living well in their solitariness. Uh, don't know quite where we got that from, but uh, it's certainly not helpful. Because the model of Christ is to be part of the Godhead in divine community, in social trinity, in relationality, in an eternal love-driven capacity to love fully. We're not just better together. We're meant to be together. Over the last 20, 25 years, the social brain has become the subject of research. And all of the neurological study that's being done all over the world is saying the same thing. Your brain is designed 
for relationship. Sorry, guys. It's made for togetherness. It's actually wired to connect in with other people. Lord, help us. Because many of us are quite clumsy at doing relationships. It frightens us. So I want to lay a challenge before every one of you today. This is rather naughty. I'm not pressing the point. I will leave it with you to make the decision whether you want to do this. But one of the most beautiful insights of how the Trinity works within the persons of the Godhead is in John 14 through to John 17. It includes the high priestly prayer of Christ. It's him preparing himself for his destiny. It's all about the covering of this about-to-be-born church and what's going to happen and the Lord praying for every one of us. So what I'd like you to do, if you have time, and even if you haven't got time, but you know you should, is to go to John 14 through to 17 with a pen and a pad and write down the insights you get with the Holy Spirit's help just talking about those chapters. But what I also then would challenge you to do is to actually take those notes and inflict them on someone else. Find a willing volunteer to help you and talk it through together. and share your wow with them. This window into the social trinity and its relationality. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for completing the task on earth, Lord, and for continuing to be our example of love and of sacrifice. And Lord God, we allow you to open our spirits and talk to us so that we begin to see more of the miracle of the Trinity 
the divine unity, the extraordinary community, and what that could mean for us in the name of Christ. Amen.